0: Good evening, everyone. It's good to see you tonight. Uh, Thank you, Mark, for that uh, reading. I appreciate that. Thank you, uh, David, for leading in that singing. (coughs) Thank you, Jacob, for the prayer. (coughs) It's a little bit loud. I wanted to thank everyone here for coming out tonight uh, to hear God's word. You all are a real encouragement to me and to my family. More than you know, I can see that we're all growing as Christians and doing our best to represent God. The opportunity to speak tonight is a blessing, and I'm so glad I can see my brethren and share this beautiful message from God's perfect word. The importance of spreading the seed is apparent in this dark world among us. I wanna ask you guys a question. Have you ever thought back to when you first became a Christian? What was the evidence that moved you in the direction to God? Did you study hard to validate the truth? Would you think false information at that point in your life could have destroyed your faith? You know, Paul says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I wonder why he would say that. Because false teaching is a serious deal and it can ruin the perceptions and faith that we have. That's how seriously we should take false teaching and correct it whenever it's heard. I wanted to talk tonight about something I heard from a person preaching the gospel of Christ. They use this phrase to get unbelievers to consider the power of Jesus Christ. And here it is. They said, Jesus raised himself... From the dead. And I wanted to talk tonight about this statement and look at scriptures to confirm or deny this teaching. Firstly, let me explain of Jesus raising himself from the dead, or Jesus raising himself, or (laughs) raising from the dead in that manner. We know he told his disciples and other people in different ways the Son of Man would be raised from the dead on the third day. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 22. In verse 22, it says, Now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And the third day, he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. So we see Jesus is telling his disciples here about what would come true in the future. And that he would be betrayed and killed and be risen on the third day. And of course, they were sad that, his master, that their master would die. But honestly, they might not have even understood what Jesus was saying at this point. Because after all, Jesus was fulfilling a prophecy by speaking in parables. And we can see this in Psalm 78. In Psalm 78 in verse two it says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them, from their children telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. So we can see that they might not have even known what Jesus was talking about being predicted there. And we can see another verse here in Mark Mark chapter eight in verse 31, Jesus speaking again of his coming death. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So Jesus in this context just got done healing a blind person and he asked his disciples, who do the men say that I am? In other words, who, who are the people saying that they think that I am? And they tell him John the Baptist, some say, and some say Elijah. And so he asked them, Well, what do you guys think? And Peter was the one that answered and said, The Christ. So he tells them not to tell anyone about these things and to keep this information hidden uh, until all is known. And so we see that he's foretold his death, and then we see it come to fruition. In Matthew chapter 27. And in Matthew chapter 27, it says, we see him get crucified here in Matthew chapter 27. And we can start, we can start in verse 45. Now, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani," That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So we can see that Jesus, he passed away at this point in Matthew chapter 27, and then he was sealed in a tomb. We see uh, later on in the verse, in verse 60, he's in a brand new tomb that no one's used, and then guards were placed in front of that tomb. And then we see in Matthew chapter 28, he's risen again on the third day as promised, and he's seen by his mother, by the disciples multiple times. It says three times in in John, the book of John, it says that he's seen by the disciples three times in John chapter 21 and verse 14. And then it says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he's seen by over 500 people. So I think that's proof enough that Jesus himself was raised from the dead, and he did predict that he was raised. But the question I have is, who did Jesus get raised by? And the reason this question is important is because it shows who has authority to raise Christ, who has the power, in other words. We know that there's different uh, different be- beliefs throughout the world. The Muslims, for example, believe that uh, Jesus was a real person. They believe he was a prophet, though, and they don't believe that he was crucified. And they don't believe he was raised from the dead. They just believe he went up into heaven. But, and then you have the oneness Pentecostals. The oneness Pentecostals believe that Jesus and the Father are the same person. And that's why I think this this, uh, idea, this statement here about who raised Jesus from the dead is so important because... We need to know the truth. We need to know what actually happened. We need to know what the scriptures say. And before we get into some uh, hard to interpret verses, let's work with clear verses. Let's put our stakes in the ground, as Jacob likes to say. So let's start with Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17 starting. It says. according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So we see this verse is very clear, that the Father raised Jesus from the dead and sat him at the right hand of his throne. How about another clear verse, Galatians chapter 1. In verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That's pretty crystal clear. What about Romans chapter 9, or sorry, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, it says, what, uh, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him From the dead, you will be saved. That says he raised him from the dead. Another clear verse. How about Acts chapter 2, in verse 24? And the context here is uh, Peter's given his famous sermon. It says, whom God raised up, in verse 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Acts chapter 3 and verse 15 says, And killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Acts chapter 4 and verse 10 says, Let it be known to you all and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Acts chapter 5 and verse 30, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9 reads, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God, the living and true God, and to wait for his Son, and from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So that's that's a lot of verses I read to you now and there's plenty more. There's probably over 30 verses that say, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. But I wanna show you something different that, uh, that I came across. How about John chapter two in verse 19. John chapter two and verse 19 says, "'Jesus answered and said to them, "'Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So this is clear that Jesus is saying he's going to raise himself from the dead. And funny enough, his disciples didn't understand what he was talking about, obviously, at this point. And it says later on that after he was crucified, they remembered this saying and realized that he did, he raised himself from the dead. So that says he raised himself. So we have verses that say the father raised him. Now we have a verse that says Jesus raised himself. How about another verse that says Jesus raised himself? John chapter 10, starting in verse 17, John chapter 10. In verse 17, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Another other translations say that uh, he has power to be raised again. So, again, Jesus is taking, he's taking that claim and saying he has the power to raise himself. And, what we want to do is take the entire Bible for what it says, and we, won't, we don't want to throw out the minority verses here. There's two verses that claim Jesus raised himself from the dead, and there's a litany of verses that say God did. But just taking the ones that say God did and not looking at the ones that say Jesus did would be the wrong conclusion, and it would be something that I would say people who claim to be followers of Christ do in other matters concerning baptism, for example. There might not be as many verses as baptism as in faith only or believing, but we obviously know that baptism is required for salvation. It's for the remission of sins. So there's also some other verses, though, because I'm not done yet. There's a verse that says the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 in verse 11. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, it says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That kind of sounds like the spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. How about 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18? For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. That says he was made alive by the Spirit. So, Obviously we have verses that say the spirit raised him, verses that say God raised him, and verses that say Jesus raised himself. So which ones are which ones are right? Well, we know the Bible is perfect and we know it's true and complete. So the conclusion I gather from that is that all three played a part in raising Jesus from the dead. And we know that all three are one. They all agree with each other. Let's read Deuteronomy chapter 6 in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So we know the Lord our God is one. And we know that the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the Father are all three separate persons, but they're all God. They're all deity. And we know that they, have, they all have authority. Why? Because of Matthew chapter 28. And in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That says in the name of. What does that mean? In the name of. In the authority of. So all three beings there have the authority. All three are God. And we know that they're all separate persons. Why? Because of verses like uh, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. We have a scene here when Jesus is being baptized. All three persons are, are present in this baptism. It says in verse 16, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, this is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. So, we see God speaking, God the Father, speaking from heaven, we see the spirit of God descending like a dove, and we see Jesus himself being baptized, so all three people, persons, I know that word might offend people, uh, or (laughs) that uh, the human language is not necessarily accurate to represent how amazing God is and to describe His wonderful being. Uh, So excuse my (laughs) human language here when I say person or people, I just want you to get to understand that it's a representation of three separate uh, beings. So, and we also know that all three of them were present in the beginning of creation. If we turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Well, I don't know about you, but that sounds like there's more than one person there. I would say in our English language, we use our to represent more than one. And we know Jesus was there in the beginning because of verses like John chapter one in verse one. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was and the word was was with God, and the word was God. And we know later on in, in that very chapter it describes the Word as Jesus. So we know Jesus is the Word, and He was there at the beginning with God. So we know they were all present in the beginning, all three. We know God calls Himself the first, the last. And he says this in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 4. Who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. And we know Jesus calls himself the first and the last. Revelations chapter 1 in verse 11, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, to Laodicea. So Jesus and the, the Father are claiming to be the first and the last. But what does that mean? Well, they're the first, as in they were there at the beginning. They were created. And they're the last, meaning they're there at the end of the time, and they'll always be eternal They're eternally existing. So, we know that they're all God. They're all deity. And they have different roles. The Son redeems mankind. He's called the Redeemer. The Spirit is the Teacher. And Father God is the ultimate authority. Now, this might be tough to comprehend. And I know this is not necessarily... Uh, named in the Bible, per se. Some people call it the Trinity. Some people call it the Godhead. But the Bible doesn't describe it in any uh, particular manner. It just says what it says. And if you look up Godhead, if Godhead is mentioned in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, and the word there described by Strong's is to be divine... So that word isn't necessarily even used to describe the, the three-personhood being one. And we don't see Trinity anywhere in the Bible, of course. That's a, a Catholic uh, doctrine. Um, but it represents something that is real, that we can read uh, and we can comprehend. So how do we, how do we know, or how, how's, it, how's it easy to describe? To describe this, I think is um, is probably difficult uh, even for some adults. But I know the kids probably are probably scratching their head. How is three one? How is three deities one? Uh, one plus one plus one equals what, kids? Three. Uh, well, that's what some people would say, but we know it's really more like one times one times one, which equals one. It's just one being, but three, three entities. And the, the way that uh, can help explain this is, uh, I was looking this up, this I thought this was kind of funny representation. Uh, describing uh, the Trinity as an egg. Uh, the egg has a shell, it has an inner white, and it has a yolk, but it being one egg, not three parts, but one egg. so and obviously these three deities, they're not uh, one third of each other, they're a hundred percent God each of them. So I know with, uh, with math that makes a little uh, makes it a little bit complicated there, but this subject isn't isn't one that is easy for, uh, for us as humans to comprehend with with english speaking so we can also s- see this representation as as the human body the human body it says are uh, body soul and spirit the body is a trinity or a three in one now us as people like when we're when we're approaching another person we're talking with uh, a <laughs> We're talking with flesh. We're talking with, with, uh, with bodies. Like you can see each other's skin, each other's faces. But these are just body parts. But you're actually speaking with someone's soul. It. That's what makes you a person. Is your soul, and that's described in the Bible in First uh, Thessalonians in chapter five. It says in verse twenty-three. Now may. The God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and we know that when we when we die, when we pass away from this earth, our soul goes to an eternity somewhere, and obviously there's it's either heaven or hell. Um, so we want to make sure that uh, our soul is in the right the right place in the right in the right stance. So we know that also from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that God is the ultimate authority. Now this might be confusing for some people cuz they might claim that Jesus is the ultimate authority or that Jesus is God, but we know God the Father has given Christ the authority until his appointed time. And it says here in verse 28 of chapter 15, now when all things are made subject to him, then the son himself will also be subject to him who puts all things under him, that God may be all in all. That means that God is in charge. Father God is the ultimate authority. And when I was describing the Holy Ghost earlier, the teacher, the helper, That's described in John chapter 14 and verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all things that I said to you. Now applying that to, uh, if we want to stick to context here, Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples, and he's giving them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we know later on he breathes the Holy Spirit into them. And it says, for what purpose? To remember all the things that I said to you. But obviously, in today's, uh, in today's time frame, we, uh, we don't have that ability, and that ability has been passed away. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, it says that the, the gifts will cease. So, we see Jesus being called the Redeemer. And we know Jesus is through our songs that we actually just sang. He is the redeemer. What does that mean? He redeems us from the sin that we were in. And we can read verses like Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So we realize through his blood we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. He's the redeemer. And also it says this in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12 that not with the blood of goats and calves but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all having obtained eternal redemption. So we can see that they all have different roles. God is the ultimate authority, God the Father, Jesus is the Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit is the teacher, the helper who wrote obviously the entire Bible. Now, wrapping this all together, I think a good verse, uh, Acts chapter 17, kind of sums up what I've been speaking about. It describes the power structure here that I was describing, Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. It says, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he Will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance to this to all by raising him from the dead. So it's clear that God has the ultimate authority and has given temporary authority to Jesus Christ. We see that they all have different roles, they're all deity, and we see that they all had a hand in raising Jesus. From the dead. So, in conclusion, I want to explain this topic challenged my initial belief. This, this, uh, this topic, when I first heard it, I, I didn't uh, necessarily believe it when I heard someone say Jesus raised himself from the dead. But uh, being, being a, a Christian, we have to search the scriptures, as the Bereans did, and we have to come out with the truth. And that's why I thank Mark for reading that verse Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And that's where we need to stick to to understand complicated topics like this. So, saying Jesus raised himself from the dead isn't necessarily wrong, but it's probably dishonest if you stopped right there, isn't it? Because you're not describing the whole matter, you're not describing the entire event. All three had their hand in helping Jesus being raised from the dead. All three have the power, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And let's remember the Bible is never wrong. It's perfect. It's complete. And the only thing that can be wrong is our perception of the Bible. And if we ever come across two verses that just don't make any sense, then obviously... Our, our perception of those verses would be wrong. The verses themselves aren't wrong. God is perfect, his word is perfect, and it is true. So I would close with a, a good verse, John chapter 8 and verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. How about you tonight? If you haven't come to know the truth, if you haven't been set free, from your sin. If you haven't tasted the heavenly gift, please read the scriptures. Believe in Christ. Obey him. Confess with your mouth that he was raised from the dead. Repent of your sins and be water baptized for the remission of your sins and save your soul from eternal hell. Please come forward, if that's any of you, as we stand and sing the invitation song.